ALG really saved me. I put all of my success on joining this group. People constantly checking in saved me. I made so many like friends with people that I've never met, but I feel incredibly close to and, and I consider them family. It really is a family. It is a place where you can just be yourself and there is no judgment. There is no shame. You are so welcome there. Nobody has to be in this alone. Everybody is either going through or has gone through the same thing at one point. Let's do this. Beautiful people and welcome to the ALG podcast and your boy David is by himself tonight. And lately what I've been wanting to talk about, I've been talking about it a lot on the podcast or on uh, my in, my TikTok lives lately. I kind of want to share some information on food in a tangible set point for a lot of people through trying to really break down the reality of how food works in your life, how to kind of make some shifts, um, what does food mean to you? And we're just going to talk about food. Obviously, a lot of people listen to this podcast right now. Food can be a crutch. Um, you can be using food as a way to deal with stress. You can use food as a coping mechanism for life. Um, you can use your food as celebration. You can use food in a lot of ways that may or may not be ideal. And so I kind of want to share with that, number one, share some misconceptions, share some science knowledge on where nutrition's at, where, where does the science lean towards, what do we not know, what makes sense, what feels good, um, and prefacing this all with just the idea of like, number one, I'm far from telling you exactly how to eat. Like I'm just not, I think it's a super, super poor way to do things. Why? Um, number one, I think a great philosophy to live by. I don't like the give a man a fish approach. I didn't do that. And I think it's super dangerous. And I don't think it lasts when you just tell someone how to eat. I don't think it's because again, the way I eat may not be the way you enjoy to eat. And the num one of the number one most important pieces to the puzzle for long-term stable weight loss change, health change, is consistency in the, uh, the food you're eating over time. And one of the biggest things is it's not about doing a 30-day cleanse, a 90-day keto, a 180-day paleo, a med a whatever, Mediterranean. It's about building long-term lifestyle nutritional change. That's the reality. And so one of the most important things when you kind of start diving into that is people enjoy different foods. Some people like more salt. Some people like less salt. Some people are more sweet. Some people are more savory. Some people like certain textures. Some people don't like certain textures. And so this idea that I need you to eat grilled chicken, eggs, eggs, whites, it's just not, it's just not true. And so I, you have to go one step deeper when it comes to stability within your nutrition, which is just knowing the basics. And you have to, you have to learn it for yourself because that's the only way you're going to build stability and consistency is learning it for yourself. Nutritional plans in the sense that someone just tells you what to eat, when to eat, how to eat 
That's what you call external motivation. It's external control. And the reality is external control can only sustain you for a certain amount of time because when that changes, which is life, whether you get a different health coach or you change um, your your food source of like where you get your meal prep or whatever, things change. Life will always change. And so this idea that you can count on one person or one meal or one thing for the rest of your life, good luck. It's it, Odds are not in your favor that that thing's going to be around for forever. You have to start learning the basics. And the basics is the reality of like, it's not about all the intricate, perfect percentages of this. It's about the basics. And what are the basics? These are the basics for lifestyle change and when how you want to look at nutrition. I have one that some people would say is out of place, but this is my opinion um, of importance. Number one, hydration. Get in the habit of drinking at least eight glasses, if not a gallon of water a day. Eight glasses is like 64 ounces. Um, ideally, I would say a gallon. Now, again, that number is going to vary depending on how much you work out and if you're male or female and how big you are. Um, but it's a great standpoint to start moving forward. Why? Number one, it's adding something to your life instead of subtracting, which is a great thing. Because obviously, when most people think about health and weight loss, you think it's always about taking away. And it's not necessarily true. And so let's let's start with something positive, which is let's get in the habit of drinking more water. There's just good science behind it. Just the idea of chronic dehydration and just building, drinking more water is a great place to start. Number two, calories. This, this is the delusion when it comes to every other program that doesn't talk about calories. Calorie, a calorie deficit is the foundation for fat loss. It is. Now, the issue is everyone's total daily expenditure of calories is different for different reasons. How much muscle mass you have, how much you move, what's your basal metabolic rate based upon some genetic dispositions. There are a lot of influences there. But if you're starting out and you don't know where to start, type in TDEE calculator. It's going to give you a good number of total daily calories to maintain your current weight, gain weight, or lose weight. That number comes about by, by taking your age, height, and weight and be honest with how much you move in a day. And it's going to account for basal metabolic rate, which is your general, just a basic function of calories you burn in a day just to live, your brain function, your heart function, your basic functions. Then it's going to take into account total like movement for the day. It's going to take into account thermogenic effect of food because you're going to be eating. And so it's trying to give you a good number that'll give you a safe place to start your calorie deficit. Why? The number one thing that most people do is they go off of their basal metabolic rate instead of their total daily expenditure. And the issue with that is it's a lot lower and it's not taking all of your different things of life into account. And so if you all of a sudden just drop to a 1400 calorie a day diet lifestyle and you are used to living at 3,500, 4,000 calories a day, which is probably where you're at, if not more, that big of a jump is difficult. It makes you super hungry. 
because the body's not used to it. So then what, is, what happens? You, you grind it out for a day, for a week, for, a, for two, three weeks. You lose 10, 15, 20 pounds and you can't handle it. So you binge and you create a nasty cycle. That is the issue with the most people when they underconsume calories on a day-to-day basis. Starvation mode, all this kind of stuff. The science goes back and forth. And so I'm not really going to go into it. I'm going to tell you the reality is primarily the reason why you struggle is because you create a nasty diet roller coaster of overconsumed calories, underconsumed calories, overconsumed calories, underconsumed calories, and not being disciplined enough over a consistent time frame. That's number one. Or that's actually number two. Now, now that you know your daily expenditure of calories, you understand cutting it by around 500 calories a day to get in a nice safe place of burning one and a half to two pounds of fat a week, nothing crazy, nice and controlled. What's next? And this is my issue with calorie zealots in and of themselves. You don't take into account macros. And the reality is all calories are not the same. They're not. Not because they do different things. Like I'm not going to go into the science, but the reality of lifestyle accompanied with them, which is like, guess what? 2000 calories of popcorn and 2000 calories of baked chicken have a very different feeling and sustainability for the body. And so you have to take into account protein, carbs, and fats as you create a lifestyle of learning what is in your food and how to maintain balance and satiety of feeling full over extended period of time. Because contrary to popular belief, you can be in a caloric deficit and not feel hungry. That may not be for everyone. Some people like myself, there's a piece of the puzzle, which is I feel hungry a lot. But when you learn macro counting, and you focus on a higher protein lifestyle, that process of focusing on a higher protein lifestyle can help you maintain a calorie deficit to burn body fat, but not feel so hungry all the time. This is my issue with calorie zealots in and of themselves. They don't talk about this. You tell me, when you go get a large movie theater popcorn and you eat 1,200 calories of movie theater popcorn, carbs and fats, and you're 20 minutes in the movie and hungry again, there's a whole different semblance of satiety and sustainability between that and eating 1200 calories in baked chicken, which is like eight or nine chicken breasts. First off, try eating eight or nine chicken breasts in one sitting. And number two, try eating eight or nine chicken breasts in one sitting and not feeling full for the next six hours. And so by focusing on a higher protein lifestyle, it'll help you maintain a caloric deficit and not feel like you're sacrificing um, so much hunger all the time. Now, what's a good number? So the reality of where the science is at is you should sit between 0.7 and one gram ish of per uh, gram of protein per pound in ideal body weight. So if you are 350 pounds and you, your ideal body weight is 220, you should eat between 190 and 220 grams of protein a day. That'll give you a good base of understanding of where your protein should be at. Number two, where are your fats at? For carbs and fats, honestly, I wouldn't worry too much about. If you want to get more in the detail of it, um, somewhere between 60 and 90 grams of fat a day, and then the rest of your car, the rest of your energy, whatever your TDE is left, goes to carbs. 100 grams, 200 grams, 300 grams, whatever that may be. Um, because the reality is there is a sequence of importance for macronutrients. Number one, protein is the most essential macronutrient. 
It is. Why? Lifestyle always, satiety, helping you feel full, helping you control your calories, number one. Number two, guess what? It helps you put on lean muscle mass, which helps produce more metabolism, which helps you live a better life. Number three, if you don't eat enough protein, guess what? You can die. You lose your hair, all types of shit. This is one of the things that people can get caught in when it comes to getting weight loss surgery is they get a hard time getting enough protein in a day after surgery. So this is why some people lose their hair and all this kind of stuff. So that's why, number one, the reality is macronutrient, most important, protein. Number two, most important macronutrient is fats, healthy fats. They help with, number one, number two, satiety as well. They also help with endocrine function of testosterone and all these other metabolic functions that need lipids and their fats to function. So it's the second most important thing. And then finally, carbs are not bad. Carbs are just primarily an energy source. And so since carbs are just a primary energy source, they're the easiest thing to fluctuate based upon your calorie deficit. Are carbs making you fat? No, they're not making you fat. And guess what? You can cut your carbs to zero, but if you're still eating too much fat and you're in a caloric surplus, you're not going to burn any body fat. This is the issue with keto. But there is a hierarchy of importance when you think about things. Number one, protein. Where's that at? Number two, where are my healthy fats at? Number three, rest goes to carbs. That's your sequence of macronutrients when you look at that. How do you track that? Download my fitness pal and just become fascinated with what is the makes up the compound of your food. Do you have to make every single meal exactly perfect to the degree of perfect calorie? No. Do you have to get exactly 230 grams of protein? No. But it just gives you a good base to understand where you're at. And I'm going to guess if you've never done a higher protein lifestyle of getting 200, 180 or 220, 30 grams of protein in, you will be blown away by how much fuller you feel throughout the day. And you're like, holy shit, I'm on a 700 calorie deficit right now. And I'm so full, I don't even feel like eating. That's the, that's the fascinating thing when you start looking at macronutrients, you look at macros, especially higher protein lifestyle, because contrary to popular belief, you don't have to starve yourself to burn body fat, okay? So that's the second most important thing. Macro, actually, technically that's the third, because hydration, calories, macros. Honestly, we get, there's micros, which is obviously talking about fiber and vitamins and minerals and all this kind of stuff. And then finally, you can go to timing your eating. I'm not even going to go into those because they play the least amount of influence compared to those big three. And so that, that's kind of where I wanted, want to like explain foundational nutrition. Because when you learn that, when you download MyFitnessPal, you start getting fascinated with what you're actually putting in your body. The idea of making the switch from... I'm going to eat primarily for taste and convenience to I'm going to eat primarily to fuel my body. And what does that mean to fuel your body? It doesn't mean what you eat is not tasty. It doesn't mean what you eat isn't convenient. It just means when you think about how you're dealing with food, are you thinking about it in a way that it's, it's nourishing my body? I'm doing this because it's fueling me to live an optimal life. That's the most important shift. Because what do most people do to live their life? They live their life primarily eating for taste and convenience. And oftentimes, if you've been in our lifestyle of being morbidly obese, you've used food as a coping mechanism oftentimes for stress and stuff like that. And we may have to talk about where do you put your stress? How do you do deal with more positive ways to deal with stress? Those are conversations that need to be had. 
But the reality of nutrition, hydration, calories, macros makes up the vast majority of the quality of your nutritional lifestyle. That's number one. Um, so with that, the reason why I kind of share it that way, and I'm not a fan of cookie cutter programs is because there's so many ways to eat fish versus steak versus tofu versus protein shakes versus rice versus sweet potato versus brown rice versus white rice. I just, I just don't give a shit. Like there isn't enough data to justify any of it in and of itself. And so let's just not play that game because guess what? The quality of your life is not in, oh my gosh, brown rice over white rice. The quality of your life is in, holy shit, I just had a whole carton of ice cream. I just sat and watched three hours of Netflix. That's not good. <laughs> that, that's the reality. It's not brown rice or white rice. It's not, oh my gosh, you had a steak instead of veg. Like it's just, that's just not where it is. And so when you start to empower yourself on macros and on calories and just understanding and breaking down mysticisms, it gives you power. It gives you perspective of how you can eat and how you can buffer. It's like, holy shit. Okay. If macros and calories is the primary mover and shaker within fat loss and health. Okay. I want ice cream tonight. All right. This, this, this cup of ice cream is going to be 600 calories of mostly carbs and fats. Okay, cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a nice piece of grilled chicken, some avocado, and then I'm going to have a protein shake in the afternoon and some, some, some maybe like eggs and egg whites. I'm going to save up some carbs and fats for the night and I'm going to eat some ice cream. And guess what? Because my ice cream fits those macros based upon how I buffered my day, I can literally eat ice cream and be leaner and healthier the next day. I'm just telling you, you can do it. That's the power of macro counting and understanding calories and macros and it's an empowering aspect. You don't have to be so fearful of food when you learn what's in your food on a macronutrient basis. And so um, that was one of the big things I want to talk about. It's interesting. And I'm just going to kind of go off the cuff here and talk about some, some pros and cons of how people choose to eat. Number one, I'm not going to shit on someone's life on how they choose to eat if it's getting them the outcome they want. That's number one. Like that, just I'm not gonna play that game. Like that's just stupid. I hope you guys all are in that same position. If they've transformed their body and they're healthy and they're happy, let them be, baby. Like I'm just proud that they got the outcome they're looking for. Um, with that being said, I want to break down misinformation. Like I think it's super important this this misconception of of meat is being unhealthy, like that's just not true. Like there's there's no semblance that meat is unhealthy. Now, can you, is there a difference between ch grilled chicken, uh, a lean steak and a porterhouse extra fatty piece of uh, freaking uh, pork something blank? Yeah, there's a difference because of the fats and, and all that kind of stuff. You can talk about that. But meat in and of itself, there's nothing bad, guys. Flip of the coin, lectins and this kind of position of vegetables are killing you is so unsubstantiated. I think there's benefits in keto. I think there's some benefits in looking at nutritional, like low carb in certain areas based upon certain experiences. Personally, I don't get as hungry when I'm in a low carb state. I just don't. Can't tell you why. But when I'm low carb, when I'm hitting my macros the way I want to, 
I don't get nearly the hunger cravings as I do when I incorporate more carbs. Hate to break it to you. That's just the reality. Now, with that being said, do I have to cut carbs to burn body fat? No, I'm, I'm incorporating keeping carbs right now th- that in this process of my current bodybuilding competition, I want to incorporate more carbs while I'm, while I'm cutting and losing weight, um, losing body fat than I have in the past just to try something different. But I can tell you just from, from experience, I find it more difficult to maintain the calories of the goal sets or the macros I want to do incorporating more carbs than not. But does that mean that the carbs are causing it? No, the carbs aren't causing it. But I'm just fascinated by that. I can't tell you exactly why. And most doc, most people out there can't tell you exactly why at this point. Um, obviously, there's sugar drops and people can talk about that and simple versus complex carbs. And how I eat is pretty even. I'd love to get on a I'd love to get on a, like a, a glucometer to see my glucose over time and see if how that affects. And maybe I am bottoming, bottoming out or something. And I highly doubt it because of how diverse my meals are. I'm thinking about fiber. I'm thinking about complex carbs. I'm thinking about protein. So respectfully, I should have a nice stable sugar, blood sugar, but I may not be. I mean, it's, you only find out until you do it. Um, so it's something to be looked to look and mindful into. Um, but yeah. And so it's, it's super interesting. Nutrition is always one of those topics that is super difficult because I had this conversation with Zach Cohen recently. Um, if you guys, I mean, he was on a previous episode. If you guys aren't following Zach, he's a great guy. Good. And he's, he's very down the middle when it comes to a lot of this stuff. I love um, his, his input. Um, and it's one of those things of trying to mix different semblances of where the science is at. How can we get people to make better decisions over time? and where the meat and potatoes are of nutrition. And one of those, um, where was I going with this? One of those things when it comes to the common misconceptions is like, there's just so many of like, or this is always um, with like, with diet today, nutrition, one of the hardest things to do is nutrition is such a relatively soft science because you're other than being allergic to something or something significantly one-to-one, like you're taking an arsenic or something that's going to truly poison you. We don't have good timelines and we don't know dosaging and we don't know all this kind of stuff where it's like in every other, like in every other scientific metric, when it comes to health, it's like you take a statin drug and immediately your cholesterol changes. You take this drug and your blood pressure drops. You take this drug and it immediately has an effect on the body. Nutritionally, it's like you're trying to control the variables over 30 years and hoping that the person's eating the way they say they're eating to then justify its influence on heart disease and all this kind of stuff. And we don't actually know because it's over decades and there's a lot of variables at play. And so it makes it really difficult inside of nutrition to convey what is good, what is bad, and how good or bad is it. And it's tough. It's tough. I've talked to Zach about it. It's like it makes dietitians and all that space have such a harder time conveying scientific fact because data is not so, well, you eat one cheeseburger and you have a heart attack or you eat some lectins and you have a a heart, a stroke. It's like, it's not how it works. And so it's trying to, it's a, it's a little bit of a dance and trying to understand, okay, what pot, what potentially could be causing this. 
And it's tough. It really is. And so I respect registered dietitians that try to convey the science as much as possible uh, because it's not easy, guys. Like, it's so much easier just to say, keto, guys, just go keto and everything's great. But it's not true. And then flip the coin, vegan. Just go vegan and you're, you're light. You're, you'll pull away. You'll, you'll fix every chronic illness you have. Ridiculous. And it's tough because things sit down the middle and that's the reality. Um, but I, I want to convey some like different, just what's on my heart when it comes to some of this nutrition stuff, because some of it is going to be anecdotal in my experience. Some of it is going to kind of like finding the waltz in between. Um, and yeah, so ah, where do I want to go with this food, food? Okay. We're, we're actually, we're going to do this right now, guys. Cracking open a diet, Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. And I want to share experience when it comes to this right here. So I used to drink 15 to 20 Diet Cokes a day. I'm not kidding. And literally, not only was I drinking 15 to 20 Diet Cokes a day, I was in the process of talking my dad into getting a fountain diet Coke machine in our house because I was showing him the numbers of how he'd actually save money. So when I say I love diet Coke, I love diet Coke. Um, But I want to convey this because like I went through a phase where I thought synthetic sugars were just the worst thing I've to the point where I actually would rather have five grams of real sugar over a bunch of synthetic sugar. And I went through, through the full spectrum of it where I went from 15 to 20 diet Cokes a day to when I was in the midst of my weight loss, plus like just sustaining it afterwards, I didn't touch diet pop period. Like I just thought it was battery acid. And then I've kind of come back a little bit where it's like, do I have one or two diet pops a day? as a treat at the end of the night? Sure. Um, am I slamming 15 of them? No, I still think there, there's some data shows that some data that's not that if you're slamming synthetic sugars, I think there has to be an influence on hunger and certain stuff. Cause I still think it played a small role in my hunger. I mean, I was drinking 15 to 20 a day. And so am I against synthetic sugars? No. No, I'm not against them. I think I think it's a sequence. If you're drinking sugary pop, let's transition you to diet because you're saving calories, which is inevitably going to save you some body fat and help you get in a caloric deficit, which is good. Ideally, I'd like to get you out of most of your synthetic sugars and let's just go to water. Water's great. Let's drink more of it. Um, and that's kind of where I sit with this. And I, I want to share that full perspective because... I went through the gauntlet. I went through so, so much synthetic sugar that I thought I was a freaking phenom to I thought it was the devil to I sit in the middle. I, I look at it from both lenses. I don't think we can act like it doesn't have any effect, but I don't think it definitely doesn't have the same effect of calories and the importance of that. Um, super important. Number two, I think it's car- like having the conversation of carbs in general, guys. Um, I went through that phase two where I went pretty, I was keto for a solid year straight. And when I say, actually I was low carb. I went through a phase of keto where you actually, so I think keto and the low carb are two different things. You have keto, which is 
75 to 80% of all your calories you eat are fat. I don't think that's good. Um, Low carb, I tried that. I just didn't like all the fat. It was just too much. Um, I went to low carb, relative, like mid fat and high protein. And I fell in love with that. I really did. Um, That's where primarily a lot of my weight loss came from was I fell in love with the high protein, mid fat, low carb lifestyle. It helped me with satiety. It helped me with food cravings. Um, That's where I found the, and and I went too far. I went too far where I went to the point where I truly believed that carbs were the problem. Um, and I've come out of that where it's like, obviously it's the overconsumption of calories. And the reality is fats and carbs are your primary movers and shakers with overconsumption of calories. It's not necessarily protein because it's just super difficult to overeat protein. It's so it's like, you'd have to eat so much effing protein at that point. It's like, holy balls, but fats are super easy to overeat because it's nine grams or nine calories per gram of, uh, per, uh, in fat. And then it's four calories per gram in carbs. And the issue with carbs is they don't have the most satiating feeling. And so it's easy to eat a hundred cal- or it's easy to eat 500 calories, 800 calories of carbs, where it's not as easy to eat that in protein. Same thing with fats. It's super easy to eat five to 800 calories in fats um, compared to protein. And so, but I went through that phase. I want to, I want to share with that with you guys. Like if you want to live low carb, I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I think there's a good and a bad way to do it. Like, let's be real here. I think if, if we're all being honest, eating a grilled chicken salad with a half an avocado is very different nutritionally on the body compared to eating bacon and cream cheese. Can we all agree? Like there's a big difference there. I know a lot of people want to just, just arbitrarily say keto is bad for you. And it's like, all right, let's, let's be real here. I think there's a big difference between eating just massive saturated fats and all this kind of stuff and doing it relatively clean. I think there's a big difference here. And so let, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Oftentimes when people just arbitrarily say keto's bad, it's like, well, how is the person doing it? Are they eating a bunch of leafy greens, some lean protein and some healthy fats? Or are they eating a bacon wrapped fucking porterhouse steak fucking covered in oil and grass fed butter? I think it's just a huge, there's a huge difference. And so let, let's just, let's have a conversation. Flip of the coin here. Vegan, vegetarian. Guess what? If, if, if the base of your vegetarian lifestyle is leafy greens and, and lean proteins and um, like controlled fats, that's awesome. If you think just eating a bunch of chips and guac is going to be the healthiest lifestyle do you maintain and build a, build a relationship with, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> And so like, I, that's always what I let's have a conversation with. That's why I don't care what program you're on from Mediterranean to Cato to part to paleo to carnivore to what you're doing. If calories and macros don't make up at least somewhat of the thought process you're having, you can overdo it. Like you can, you can, because you can eat vegan cookies and vegetarian cookies all day, but you're not eating meat. And so if you're not changing the psychology in your head, that you're going to primarily eat to fuel your body. You're not going to primarily eat for taste and convenience. And that may be reevaluating how you see food. 
That may be having an honest conversation with yourself that you use food as a coping mechanism for stress. That may be you use food as your boredom. That may be you use food too much as your celebratory gift. You may have to have these conversations of why are you doing the what you're doing? But that's the whole point. Do you primarily eat for taste and convenience or do you primarily eat to fuel your body? Final thing I'm going to go into because it's the newest trend right now. And you're going to hear more and more of it. And again, it's so interesting to me, like looking at lenses of different programs and how they go from some good merit and science and logic to a fucking cult really quick. And that's intuitive eating. Guys, you're going to keep hearing about it. It's going to keep getting bigger because more registered dietitians are, are flocking into it. And I respect registered dietitians. They, have, they go through a lot of schooling um, nutritionally to convey their, convey their, their, experience. So it's not so hoity toity, um, but they still get things twisted because it's like intuitive eating. Let me tell you the good. What is, what is good about intuitive eating? Don't be afraid of food. I agree. Don't be afraid of food. Don't be being able to have a good relationship with food is a great thing. And intuitively eating that idea of not fearing food is great. And balance is great. Those are great things. But then it turns into if you calorie count, if you macro count, if you have any rules, you're, not, you're, you're setting yourself up for, for an eating disorder. And these intuitive eaters and a lot of these registered dietitians just, just flock to the word eating disorder like it's a fucking honey with some, some bees. And it's like the, the term eating disorder is so overly stimulated now. It drives me nuts because I, I sit Western Eastern philosophies here. Where Western, you have science, logic, basically creating names and, and illnesses and syndromes to everything to put people in boxes to understand things. And then you have Eastern philosophies of the mind and the spirit and how the brain, like all that kind of belief systems and stuff influence decision making. And I sit down the middle because I've used both. And I think one of the stupidest things we're in the process of doing right now is just branding people as eating disordered branding people as binge eating disorder, branding these people to these illnesses and syndromes, because you're creating belief systems, you're creating identities in these issues. And are there are there bad habits? Yes. Are they things we have to get you have to work on and get over? Yes. What I also have, a, I will scream red light at is you are giving people identities in this shit. Well, I have binge eating disorder. And it's like, be careful, because now that's your identity. And if you put your identity in a habit you've built and a, and a strong one, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's just all of a sudden you flip a switch and it's gone, but you build identities in that shit. It's fucking difficult to get over. Same thing when it comes to being obese. If your identity is being in obese, you're never going to get over it. Your habit and lifestyle has built you into your current situation primarily. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. And that's my biggest issue with, with intuitive eating and where a lot of these registered dietitians are going is they just brand people and these people then create it into their identity, which makes it 10 times harder to get over. We can have conversations of, hey, you struggle with overeating at night. Okay, let's work on that. Let's create some plans and actions. It's a whole different thing. You have eating disorder. And that creates such a bigger 
stigma to them to get over because now their identity is in it. And I think it's super fucking dangerous to create identities in these syndromes and situations. We can convey them, but I think it's super dangerous. This is my opinion, but I think it's super dangerous. And so intuitive eating, it goes from some good place. Don't be scared of food. Don't be scared of having a little bit of healthy fat on you. There's nothing wrong with not having six pack abs. You can live great, a great life between 12 to 25% body fat. That's fantastic. But then it starts to go wonky where they talk about healthy at every size, which is delusional. Like healthy at every size is absolutely delusional and everything else in between. And so um, just kind of just just be careful when it comes to intuitive eating, because there's some great things behind it. You can learn some healthy things, but it turns into a cult really quick, just like keto does, just like carnivore does, just like vegan does, just like every other one. You get some great science and that's phenomenal and you can do it great or you can turn it into a cult and it just gets out of hand really quick. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I got I got I got into it. Um, we may have lose. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Hopefully everyone took that with a grain of salt and didn't get super frustrated with anything I said. Obviously, this is my opinion. Um, quite logical, quite scientific, but there's definitely some things that are gonna be personal and the reasons why I say the things I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, whatever you're doing in life, guys, I love it. As long as you're living accountable, you don't, you don't fall into the dogma that you're a victim to your life. You are aspiring to try to live a healthier and happier life. You're aspiring to live a life that you want, not what you think you can get. You start like, I'm, that's all I care about. And that's what this podcast is about. Showing perspective. Here's some information. Here's some inspiring stories of people who do it in greatly different ways. That's awesome. I love it how we have people on this podcast that did it through VSG. I love it how we have people do this podcast quote unquote, naturally, which is a terrible term. I love it how people have done this podcast through OMAD, through carnivore, um, through vegan, through all this kind of stuff. Across the board, I just love people showing progress and results in different ways because it shows you there's no one size fits all approach, people. There's habits and rituals that you maintain for the rest of your life. There are certain foundations, but this idea that there's a one size fits all plan, it's bullshit. It's not about eating just baked chicken. It's not about just, oh, what's the perfect food? What's the perfect this? It doesn't exist. Um, except for pizza. You can't cut pizza or you, you, you die inside. Guys, just so you know, if you cut pizza out of your life, you die inside. It's not worth living anymore. And ice cream. If you're lactose intolerant, I feel so bad for you because if I got rid of ice cream, I don't even know I'd live anymore. Um, that's a whole different dogma. Uh, so yeah, so I appreciate you guys listening to me talk about nutrition and food for, I don't know, is that like 30 minutes? Um, hopefully you guys got some great value. If you got some great value out of it, drop a comment, um, comment on the Instagram, leave us a nice five-star rate and review. I like the fours just because it breaks the dog, breaks the sequence. No, I'm just kidding. I want fives. Um, share this with anyone that is super struggling with understanding food because there is such misinformation in the world. And there's a lot of fitness gurus that tell you bullshit. There's a lot of people that have nutrition, quote unquote, degrees that tell you bullshit is a lot. It's scary to me that even people that are registered dietitians, it does scare me. And even doctors, you, you go doctors, registered dietitians, nutritionists, and they're telling you some information that is truly false, like, like actually false. And it's, it's tough. I can't even imagine 
going back to day one me and looking at all this kind of stuff that's in the world today and being like, fuck, where do I start? Is it the lectins? Oh my gosh. Is it gluten? Oh my gosh. Is it, is it, is it, I don't, and you're terrified and you don't know where to start. Anyone who's terrified and doesn't know up from down, this podcast is for you because it's about the basics. It doesn't matter anything outside of that. This is the basic information that'll help you build sustainability and progress within your weight loss transformation and general health. Um, so I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. We've been getting some really good feedback and really growing the community. Um, the podcast is really growing. Um, we've brought on more clients than we ever have, which has been super fun. Um, and yeah, so with that being said, guys, have a phenomenal Friday and uh, have a great weekend.